Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Monergy Life. This is Robert Fisher, your host. Tonight I have the pleasure of welcoming Carol Deal to the show. Carol is an artist and an art critic as well. She has exhibited her work widely and has contributed to various publications, including Art in America, where she is a contributing editor. She has taught writing at Bennington College and in the Graduate Fine Arts Program of the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Last year, she was awarded a grant from the Creative Capital Warhol Foundation for her blog art event. In 2001, she wrote a cover story for Art in America on Wolfgang Live whose current installation at the Museum of Modern Art we're going to be discussing today. And as I wait for Carol to call in, let me just say thanks to all our listeners. I think this is Carol on the line. Carol, is that you? Yes, it's me. Perfect timing. I just introduced you to the audience, and um, your timing was impeccable. Welcome to Monergy Life. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. uh, It's my pleasure. And, um, you know, to start off our discussion tonight, um, I did mention that in 2001 you wrote a cover story for Art in America on Wolfgang Leib, whose whose installation I was able to see uh, last week. And I think that's a good starting off point because it's very topical at the moment to talk about the role of art in our society today and how various forms of art are being processed and received. Um, Tell us a little about Wolfgang Lodd. Well, first we should maybe talk about the piece. Fair Fair enough. What it is, it's it's in the atrium of the Museum of Modern Art, and the atrium of the Museum of Modern Art is usually devoted to a single work of art, and it's one of the tallest uh, uh, galleries for art in the city. It's I don't know where else, and uh, you can see it from many levels, and it focuses you on what's going on on the floor and in this case there's a a raised platform and on that platform Wolfgang Leib who's a German artist has laid out a a field of pollen and the pollen is you know kind of a kind of a yellow dust and he's put it in a square and uh, it has kind of fuzzy edges. He's done pieces in the past that had hard edges, but these are kind of fuzzy edges. And it's a very, very intense color that you would not see with paint 
or any other material. The the pollen is of uh, an extreme yellow that, that glows. And even when I took a picture of it with my iPhone, it looked as if it was somehow made of light. But it's it's not. It's a pollen. It's a natural substance. And apparently it needs maintenance every week as well. Well, it has to be, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a powder. So if something falls on it, or if it gets disturbed in any way, it has to be, it has to be fixed up. But would you, would you consider it to be a live piece of art? Um, a live piece of art? I think yeah. I consider all art to be a live piece of art. Um, I'm curious to know why you would say that. Because of the material that it's composed of, you know, it's actually made of of um, a byproduct of um, of living things. Uh, of nature. Of nature, that, yeah. Yeah, and that gives it a certain um, enhanced quality because it's something that we're familiar with. Where I live in the Berkshires, there's a certain time of year where everything is just covered in this yellow pollen, the car, everything. Um so it's it's a it's a living yes it's a living substance but what's interesting is that it's now displaced it's not covering my car it's not something i have to sweep up it is in this other situation where it allows us to focus on it all of its qualities something we don't take for granted but something that we are suddenly looking at in a different way I, I agree with you, and you know, for me, um, to see that installation, it, there was a real purity about it that comes through, and that purity is something that's it's very hard to appreciate unless you're in its actual presence. I don't think the photograph even does it justice, actually. Well, hopefully, I mean, with most art, photographs don't do it justice, but especially something like that, which is so big and, uh, and you know, takes over that whole room, and it's of this ephemeral quality that doesn't translate into photographs. But I think most art, you're really lucky if art translates. Some, some, some artists, their work tra- looks better in photographs, but a lot of art, especially installation, you're meant to be there. Right. Right. And um, as I mentioned to you earlier when we spoke briefly before the show, uh, he actually, uh, uh, Mr. Leib actually comes in weekly to maintain this installation. Right. Which I, which, yeah, I find that fascinating that he's maintaining (laughs) it on a a weekly basis. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about that. that, Well, uh, he's, he's, He's done other pieces. Um, earlier pieces of his were called milkstones, and they were squares of marble that were c- cut out just a little bit so that they would hold milk. So he would pour the milk in, and what you are seeing on the floor is really a square of milk. Unbelievable. And, you know, you look at it, and... If you didn't know what it was, you would have no idea what you were looking at. And in this case, because again, the you know the milk there is transformed into a different situation. Here, the pollen is moved into a different situation, so you look at it completely differently. Right, and it's interesting and, that 
he took something that for some people causes an allergic reaction. Right. And, as, he, as, <laughs> and he transformed it into a piece of art. Right, right. Um, I was going to say about the milk pieces that he has to maintain those as well. Of course, milk will go bad, so they have to. It has to be emptied and poured in every day when those pieces are shown. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's with a, a lot of his work, there is a certain amount of of maintenance involved in order to keep it to keep it fresh and alive. Right. You know, I I don't know all that much about him. There was a video that accompanied the installation that I did see. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems as though my impression of him here again, I don't know him personally is, you know, he seems to be somebody who um, has a strong affinity for nature and, right. you know, wants to harness some of nature's products and bring it to people in, in a way that transforms it, you know? Exactly. And to me, that's a very interesting concept because when I think of good art, I think of a certain purity of intention that's expressed. And, you know, he has distilled it down to, you know, an actual, you know, byproduct of nature, taking that and, and transforming it into art. So it's even purer in that regard that there's, you know, there's less artificial um, ingredients in it. Yes, but hopefully you would have an experience no matter what it was, if he was able to do that with something else. The thing is, he's not able to do that with something else. You couldn't put a bunch of pigment on the floor and have it have that same um, otherworldly quality. Right, and I think, at least for me, that contributed to the impact of of the installation. And um, I, I think it was just a very thought-provoking piece overall. Well, and when we talked, you asked me a few questions, and I was wondering um, how people, how you placed it in your experience, because... To me, it seemed you that the, the backstory was very, very important to you in the understanding of the work. And for me, um, the backstory should not be an issue. It should be an interesting aside, but should not be part of the work. In other words, the work should be able to completely stand on its own if you didn't know what it was or who it was who did that. Well, I think I think the work, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I think the work definitely can stand on its own. I just found it to be interesting to know a little bit about him. I don't know a lot about um, him. And and to understand, you know, to see him actually collecting the pollen, in, you know, in the forest or wherever he was doing it. And, and just thinking about all the time that it took for him to collect this. Right, right. It's a very laborious process. It's laborious, except that it's something he enjoys enormously. So that adds to it. But that's still not the work. And I almost would prefer that the museum hadn't shown that. Really? Yes. I would prefer that there not be text. I would prefer that there not be explanations. Because people begin to take that as the work. 
And mm-hmm. I find that the more educated people are, the less they see. And they go to museums, and I see them all crowded around the wall text more than around the art. And I, I think it's it's really a situation where we we it's very very for us to to develop our visual sense and our ability to take things in without mm-hmm. having to have a story about it, without having to have an explanation. And it's complicated because in the art world there is a bunch of stuff that is that doesn't have substance. But then there is work that's very, very pure and very, very simple like this that does. And for a lot of people it's you know, you have to be kind of sophisticated to make that distinction. But I like to th- I would think an ideal situation would be where people could come to that knowing nothing about it and just enjoy it for the simple thing it is. Be able to just stop and take it in for what it is without having to make it mean anything. Are you suggesting they just enjoy it on purely a sensual level without their intellect kicking in? Exactly. Because really what art is, especially abstract art, is a language, it's a language without words. It's a language that asks us to respond with feeling to color or form or texture or you know, shape or composition. And, and we want to respond to it with our minds. We want a story. We want a narrative. But abstract art asks you just to slow down and look at what you're seeing. You're seeing a a large rectangle of very, very vibrant color. And, you know, just take that in for what it is and not make it mean too much. I could definitely see your point, and I think this is, in, in a way a great segue for us to discuss what you as an art critic and as an artist uh, envision the role of of art in our society. And secondly, how accessible do you think art is to most people in our society today? Well, as far as the role of art, I'd like to talk about the role of beauty which we don't give a lot of um, we don't we don't value much in our society. It is not we don't put a high value on it. And yet, when people live in beautiful surroundings, they act better, they're happier. And so really this is what the art, the art is, to elevate our surroundings, to, um, to make us enjoy life more, to make us more sensual. And if you really want to understand how important it is, think about that when we put people in prison, what we are doing is depriving them of beauty. That's the most essential thing we're doing though no one realizes it. Yes, we're depriving them of freedom. But if they were to be at Versailles given um, five-course meals every day and they still couldn't go out, it wouldn't be prison. 
it's prison because they're deprived of the sensuality of art and of beauty around them. You know, it's so funny that you say that. I remember reading a story in the New York Times about 10 years ago about a woman who was diagnosed with cancer. And instead of um, subjecting herself to all kinds of radiation treatment and chemotherapy, she decided to check into a five-star hotel in Switzerland for a month. (laughs) In the most beautiful surroundings, being treated in an incredible way, as you can be treated in five-star hotels. This is sometimes Mm -hmm. the treatment that one can get. Mm-hmm. And very often five-star hotels are in beautiful surroundings, beautiful locations. And the story went on to, um, to, to describe how she was cured of cancer by doing that. Well, So it's an interesting hypothesis whether or not our listeners believe it or not. I think there's a lot of truth to the value of beauty. And I would only add to to uh, to what you said in in the sense that beauty is underappreciated. I don't know if I would quite say that about our society. Perhaps it's true on a certain level, but also I would say the two things that are most important to surround yourself with are truth and beauty. Right. Both both those things will elevate the human spirit enormously. Which you find both in nature. But but if you look at the things we build, the 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 emphasis is not on beauty. I mean, Walmart well, is the biggest I mean, employer I, in the United States, and the things that they build are not comfortable. They're not mm-hmm. sensual. They're not beautiful. And it's an, and it's to me those environments are hostile environments. I can barely I, go. Because I live in the country now, I, mm-hmm. and because I've lived in New York City, where there are no box stores, both places right. I live, there are no box stores. When I go into those places, I I really feel like it's a it's a hostile environment. Well, um, it's funny that you say that because I got my first experience ever in a Walmart about five years ago in in a rural part of Florida. And I was there with some friends who were living. I was visiting them over there. And to be perfectly honest with you, I had an anxiety attack walking in there. <laughs> yes. I can understand that. I had I had an anxiety attack in Whole Foods in Pasadena, which was so huge and so complicated and so overwhelming. And right. when I mentioned it to a friend, she said exactly the same thing happened to her when she first went into right. the store. Um so and that's supposedly a more conscious environment than than mm-hmm. others but right. but we are not um we are not taking those things into consideration when we build things and when people design their houses and decorate their homes a lot of times they're thinking about what other people are going to think um what, for instance, I was in the paint store once when when the pa- woman behind the counter took a call, and the woman was asking her, "What's the most popular paint color for the exterior of a house?" Mm-hmm. And the woman told her, and the, and over the phone, the customer ordered that color. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
I've learned a lot from actually working with a friend who's an expert in feng shui, which is uh, getting in the flow of nature through the placement of things in your house, in Mm -hmm. your environment. And she often asks people to just take an object in their home and put it in their hand and just be with it and see how they feel about it. What an interesting task. People will have pictures on their wall of family members that they don't even that they don't even like, um, and they haven't thought about it. I've stayed. I I just recently stayed in a house um, where I was house sitting. The coffee table was made of crutches. You're kidding. No, the coffee table was made of crutches. Now. To me, <laughs> I would not be, want to be reminded of frailty every time I walked through the living room. But for the people who owned it, I thought that think they thought it was kind of cool, or maybe a friend of theirs made it and they wanted to display it. But right. start to think about what the things in your house really, really mean. I stayed in another house where there's a painting in the living room of a dead woman in a stream. And I'm thinking, what made them choose this image for their living room? You know, yeah. so, and these are very sophisticated people, very educated people. Mm. And but but are they thinking about what is the message that this painting is is giving? What is the atmosphere that it's giving to the living room? Is it uplifting it? And it was the, the coffee table with the crutches. Is it making me think happy thoughts or not? And well, so it's know, really very, it's, it gets to be very simple after a while. But, you know, I have a couple of comments listening to you talk about beauty and people's choices in terms of how they live. And number one, I think that a lot of people don't give themselves permission to be surrounded by beautiful things. It's totally. As simple, it's as simple as that. Yes. I really believe that. They just think, oh, it's for somebody else, not for me. I and, you know, to, yeah, I talked to a woman who said, I don't need to worry about my bedroom because I'm the only person who sees it. Well, that's, <laughs> that's almost like taking a knife and stabbing yourself. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and if you project that, that's going to be your reality. Or it doesn't make any difference what I wear when I'm alone because nobody's going to see me. Right. And the other thing is, uh, you, I, I think, and I, like I said, I totally embrace what you're saying, and it's such an interesting uh, way to talk about the role of art. I mean, basically you're saying it should propagate the love of beauty that we should all have, and and I totally agree with that. And, you know, the problem that one faces in advancing that, that uh, position is that we still, in spite of the incredible hedonism and commercialism in this society and the availability of all kinds of luxury to people, people still, I think, um, feel badly about enjoying themselves just for the sake of enjoying themselves, which is something that a lot of Europeans don't have. They don't have exactly. They don't have it. And, uh, they also have much more of a connection with nature than we do. Um, I'm, I'm impressed, for instance, when I go to England, that there are 
and and other countries like Germany. Um, there are public pathways everywhere over private land. You just walk. You just walk and walk and walk. Right. And you can. And in Germany, you walk from and in England too. You walk from one village to another on a walkway that's through private land, and you can really enjoy the. You know, enjoy being in nature. Be enjoy being out walking. It's a much slower pace. Even in England, it's a slower pace, <laughs> and there's more emphasis on family values, on um, on social values. You know, just being in the pub every night with your neighbors, or in Iceland, being in the public the public pool, geothermal pool, every day with your friends and neighbors. You could get through a long, dark winter pretty easily if you're outside in a steaming geothermal pool. Yeah, I, I've been to those pools in Iceland, yeah. so I completely understand what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I think I think um, I think it's it's a good thing. I mean, I, I think it's a breath of fresh air for you to even say that on the air that you know people should surround themselves with more beauty. I certainly second that uh, you know that thought. But but uh, not beauty, but not beauty that is is something they're told is beautiful. Right. But something that really resonates with them, and that's why the exercise of of going around the house and and picking up an object or looking at an object and saying why is this here does do i resonate with this or is this here because my great aunt gave it to me is this or is this here because i would like something else but i don't want to go buy it for myself and right. and things don't have to cost money paint does not cost a lot of money, and yet everybody paints their walls white. And there's so much that can be done with color. There's so much atmosphere that can be done with color in a home. And so it's just about really beginning to open up and respond. I had a woman come visit me who was a friend. She was assistant attorney general in New York City. She came to visit me in my loft. We had a lovely tea. And when she left, she said, next time you'll have to show me your paintings. Well, as she said that, facing her was a painting of mine that was six and a half feet high and 16 feet long. You're kidding. Full of bright colors. And one that children respond to enormously. You know, they run around and they pick out the colors and they pick out the symbols in it and so on. But she absolutely did not see it. Unbelievable. So, well, you know, you're just you're you're um, suggesting something which I've I've sort of noticed myself. There's a lot of people who are so centered in their minds that their other senses are not getting a workout at all. I think this is this is very very true, and, and I I I read that wonderful. Um, there's a book called Bringing Up Bebe about how French children are brought up, which I thought was, it's very popular, and I thought it was quite wonderful. But one of the best parts of it is that when I see my, my friends trying to get their kids to eat and, and getting them to take and get another bite, and they sit there and they talk about the color of the food, the texture of the food, 
Is it bitter? Is it sweet? They, they are training their children to make these distinctions with food. And Very if you make those distinctions with food, you can make them with other things. You can, right. you can, you know, start really t- just not just tasting things, but looking at things so that people who everyone appreciates a sunset because they know that that's something to be appreciated. But you could see the same configurations of colors in a painting and appreciate it in the same way. It's just that it's not something that has been designated uh, something to look at in that way for a lot right. of people. Right. Well, you know, we've barely scratched the surface of <clears throat> what I had hoped to talk about. And <clears throat> this half hour has flown by. We have just about a minute left. But I think we've given our listeners a taste of what art is really about, what art appreciation is. Uh, you know, it's about appreciating the beauty around us, but not not the beauty that's imposed upon us, beauty that we feel is beautiful. You know, to be able to appreciate that in almost every aspect of our life. If art can do that for us, that's the wonderful thing. Yes, and art. what art does is broaden the situations where we can appreciate it. I think that's, uh, that's a beautiful thing as well, and I would urge all of uh, all of our listeners to appreciate the beauty of the things and people around you and to be more mindful of those things because, you know, as I think you mentioned earlier, um, surrounding yourself with beauty is uplifting to the human being in just about every way. Carol, this half hour has flown by. Okay. I want to thank you for being a guest on Monergy Life. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, To all our listeners, have a great evening, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.